Hello, my name is Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 490, I don't know, two? Yes. Does that sound right? Yes. I even tell you this. KJ, is this okay that we put this out tomorrow? Yeah, this okay. is great. All right, awesome. So we have an author. I just met her, and she seems like she's pretty awesome. Her name is KJ Tell- Delantonia. Did I get it? You got it. Nice, sweetie. Can you say KJ Delatonia? I can. Um, so this is who KJ is. Uh, she's a writer and regular contributor for the New York Times, where she wrote and edited the Mother Load blog. What was that all about? Oh, that, that was it was basically their parenting section. So it ranged from fantastic essays about things like giving up your uh, minivan to... Uh, you know, writing about the social pressures on parents to the policy and cultural things that affect our parenting, Uh, you know, everything from work-life balance to why don't we have a family leave policy to um, I I would help guest writers to talk about their experiences that might not normally be in the Times, like looking for public housing or uh, getting through Hurricane Katrina. So it was a lot, a lot of different aspects of parenting. So it. it was really fun. It. Yeah. You did? Well, yeah, and, and it's well respected. Like yeah. it's a well thought of blog. But it says mother load L O D E. What well, that seems weird. L O D E. It was a I actually didn't start it and at at the time that it was started, all the blogs had pun kind of names. Oh, really? So it's a pun, you know, the mother load, all the information about parenting. It also started as more of a she would Lisa Belkin started it and she would rerun blog posts from, uh, you know, well-known bloggers. This was in like 2000 and I think it started in 2006 okay. or something. Oh, yeah. So it, it went, it went a ways back. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Um, so her book is how to be a happier parent. That sounds like a good idea. Yes. We all want to be happy, don't we? Well, it's just a great title. You want to know what the subtitle is, sweetie? Please. Raising a family, having a life and loving almost every minute. And this is why KJ is here. That's right. So, sweetie, how do you want to start this? Well, um, you didn't finish her bio. Okay. Well, she There's also... There's so much there. I know. Prior to this, she was one of Slate's XX factors. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't know what that is. Do you is. read Slate? Really old. No, I yeah. don't. <laughs> but um, see, there's people who... So we've been around like nine years, almost 10 years too. So people... This is like our history too. People yeah. reading Slate, Mother Load. Got so it. Keep going. Um, she also... She lives in Lyme. Lyme? Well, like the L- disease, L- but it's not named after us. Lyme, New Hampshire, with her husband and four children. Whenever I think of New Hampshire, because we're here in Chicago, I think of what about Bob, because they go to Lake Winnipesaukee. Mm-hmm. We are quite close to Lake Winnipesaukee, oh, so but our, our life is not very much like what about Bob. Have you seen what about Bob? Kind of. Oh, you got to see it. It's a good movie. He, I, I give. It is a good movie because oh, I feel like I know I'm not going to get, but it's you like it more than the average person. It's anxiety provoking. It's so anxiety provoking. Speaking of parenting and other things. Yes. So yes. Okay. Did I do okay on yeah. the read? But also that she writes for the New York Times. I said that. Said it. Okay, good, 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 good. So you have got right. to listen. I, I do. You know what the problem is? I just came from yoga and I'm still. Like, you know, when you're like still in a cooling down period, I keep putting my glasses on and they're fogging up. Yes. So I'm having a hard time, but I'm ready. Okay. Okay. So my first question for you, KJ, is at the very beginning, I love what you say about um, really, and I feel like you kind of wrapped with this too at the end, is a lot of parenting is about changing the story we tell ourselves about parenting. And I also agree that there's all the, I mean... I could start in so many, you know, ages, like at one, oh, one-year-olds are like this and you're going to feel like this. And at two, terrible twos, and they're a nightmare and, and you're going to really be tired. And we have all this um, information give a, given to us up front that kind of arranges the way we think. So did you discover that through your research or personal experience? Well, when I started writing the book, um, I was maybe three years into my time at Motherload. And it was right at that moment when all that research was coming out that was like, you know, parents are less happy than people who don't have children. And we'd rather do laundry and load the dishwasher than spend time with our children. And also at the same time, I, you know, I was the editor of the blog. So I was reading probably at least the beginnings of, you know, a hundred plus submitted essays and things like that a week. And the really the tone was, you know, oh my gosh, I need a drink. This is so hard. This is a slog. And I have to say, I didn't, mm. I was feeling that. Yeah. I got it. I mean, you know, if you put one more plastic sippy cup in my dishwasher, my head was <laughs> going to explode. But I didn't want to feel that way. And I didn't quite get why we were feeling that way. Because I mean, 
you know, if you look at sort of our lives as uh, as uh, the, the typical Times reader or the typical parent who can pick up a hardback re- book about parenting, we've got it pretty good mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, food, you know, shelter, roofs overhead. We got stresses, yeah. absolutely. But I just felt like we ought to be able to find a way to make oh. the family part of this, which we all wanted so bad. I mean, it's not like somebody's like, oh, pst. I'm just going to give you a couple of kids. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to take care. No, and a lot of us really, you know, went through a lot to have our kids. And yet we're not, we're not in, you know, often we find it really hard to make it a happy part of our lives. So when I hear you say that, it reminds me of a few blogs. I don't even know what the names of them were, but it was like they almost got off on the negativity of parenting. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they would promote. Call their kids names. Yeah, and, yeah. like all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're coming at it like, hey, man, things are good. Let's be Almost as happy as we can be, or what does it say? Happier. Uh, yeah, almost. almost. You know, you're right, every almost every day. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds yeah. me of uh, the Dan Harris book, 10% Happier. Yes. Like, you're never going to like... I thought about that a lot, as I, because that's the point. It's not about, you know, every chapter, everything you speak of has its inherent challenge, yes. right? You know, meals, bedtime, and you don't deny the inherent challenge. You just start to, again, the question, you know, is about how you're looking at it. I, I found the same thing when uh, Todd and I got married so long ago, 17 years ago or whatever. And people would talk about husbands and you'd end up in a conversation about husbands do this and husbands are, you know, in marriage and husbands just drop the ball. And I actually had to do, it was like this surgical procedure to like not, to not use the word husband. Cause I felt like when I used it, it had this negative energy. Now, again, it's not about pretending he's not my husband, but there was such an same with parenting, yeah. you know, there's this thing about the words where we get too focused on the negative and it's a rabbit hole. Well, I think we, you know, it's a, it's it's a, it's, it's a, it's a pendulum. Yeah. So we went for a long time, uh, you know, until, uh, with it's, with women in particular being supposed to be happy and put a good face on it and, and, you know, go for the leave it to beaver stuff. And then, you know, it sort of went down into, well, people are kind of frustrated with me, maybe, you know, not having so many choices and that's a different story. But then, you know, Anne Lamott came out and she was really one of the first voices to say, actually, this is hard and frequently a little boring. And because she hadn't, no one had said that particularly, that was really, I think, great to hear at that time. But boy, did we go overboard mm-hmm. with it. Um, and yeah, you know, I have four teenagers. And when I say that, people, you know, their faces <laughs> go gray. And, and But honestly... Oh, wow. I, they're they're not perfect children by any means. I'm sure they're exactly the same as anybody mm-hmm. else's teenagers, but it's fine. It's great. They're they're way easier than when they all needed sippy cups and diapers. And, and you know, they're also way harder because they're they're more challenging. Do you subscribe bigger kids, bigger to problems, that's what I was going to ask? Because when when somebody great. says to me, "Small kids, small problems; big big kids, big problems," I I get frustrated when I hear a lot of dads say that to Mm me. Now, one is, yeah, is it more likely that there's drinking and driving when you're a 16-year-old versus when you're a six-year-old? Of course. I just, but just to be resigned to the fate, like, oh yeah, these teenage years are going to suck. I hate that. I totally hate it. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my, the people I interviewed for the the book is part of the, it's the, it's the Children's Hospital of of it's either Philadelphia or Pennsylvania. I know it starts with a P because they're chop. <laughs> anyway, they have a whole initiative dot designed to help parents rethink teenagers mm. because, I, you know, teenagers are, are, they're great and they're fun and they're interesting and they're fascinating. And yeah, you're trying to, you know, the risks are yeah. greater if, if things go wrong for them, but also you know, you kind of need things to go wrong for them so you can help them find their way to having things go better so that then when they're out of their house in the 20s, you know, they're, they have had some guidance in mm-hmm. getting better, you know, making things better when things do go wrong. Right. So. It's almost like the difference, at least for me, because we have 16, 14, and 11. So mm-hmm. we're just kind of pulling into that area. And it's it, where the younger time was a more physical demanding time. This is a more emotional and consciously demanding time. Right. I have to be very thoughtful about, and I was too, but when they were little, but it's just different. It's just a sense of you are, you know, you're a little more on the sidelines. You're a little more the, the go-to 
person for certain things, but then you also have to be creative about how to stay connected. You also, and, and the problem is, and, and I'm sure this is, you know, I know this is part of your message in the book is when there's this assumption that teenagers are hard or that they are going to try and rebel and break you and go around your back, then we treat them that way. Mm -hmm. It's a vicious cycle. And so that whole idea that actually, you know, and, and Daniel Siegel has this as far as his research and our friend John Duffy writes about this. And obviously this is something you talked about too, is if you, you know, if you just get to know them, learn to recognize that they are still your children, they're just growing up and you create a relationship with them that's healthy, it tends to be healthy on both sides. Meaning it doesn't mean they don't make mistakes, but the choices, you know, you maintain a relationship. Well, and you know, at any age, the way that you look, or and, and in any activity, the way that you frame what you're doing and the way that you think about it is going to change your experience. Uh, you know, if you walk... If you walk into the grocery store going, oh, geez, shop again, and it's all so expensive, and it's gold in here, and I hate it, you're going to have a different grocery shopping experience than if you go in going, you know, I've got my list, Mm and I'm going to, you know, and and it's bright, and this is a little time to, you know, maybe I'll pick out something fun for dessert tonight. It just, you know, it's a different... Really, in most things and at most times, the most important thing you can change is your attitude. And often the only thing you can change is your attitude. And, you know, what I found through research and through talking to other parents is that at at every stage and for almost everything that's challenging, if you can flip how you think about it, you're well on your way Mm. to making it a better experience. Absolutely. And there's such a, you know, connection to when we talk about mindfulness, people misunderstand, they get very focused on the meditation or the way that they have to talk or the way that they have to act. And really, mindfulness to me is just exactly what Mm -hmm. you said. Pay attention to what's happening and be conscious of how you are viewing it, because then that will be your experience. Right. And there's some really solid research on this, that if you train your brain to focus on the good as opposed to the negative, that if you teach yourself to actually, you know, this is not like, let's, I mean, if you want to keep a gratitude journal, that's great. But it's this, it's not just like, you know, today I was grateful for whatever. It's, it's taking the time to take a moment. I call it soaking in the good Mm -hmm. in the book. And that's a a quote from another, or it's sort of a extrapolation from another book, um, which neuros, the, neuro hardwiring happiness. That's Mm. it. I knew it would come. (laughs) Anyway, if you teach yourself to take the time to notice what's good about your situation, even when things, I mean, you you know, you can have a kid on the floor sobbing because math is just too hard and long division is killing her and, you know, dinner's boiling over on the stove and, and whatever. And it's a stressful moment, but you can also go, and we're all here, yes. and we're all healthy, mm. and I feel safe. And, you know, when this is all settled down, you know, we're going to be doing baths and bedtime. And actually, this is a moment of my day I look forward to. And to take the actual time to walk yourself back into that mindset. When you do that, you're, you're resetting your brain. And, and there's, mm. you know, great research that says it helps you learn to do it when things are even not quite so great as that not particularly great moment I just described. Right. It literally, you can hardwire your brain to go there first or at least a little faster. Yeah. I always talk about lag time. Like sometimes it's just when I practice these things you're talking about, it's just my lag time gets a little shorter. Yeah, and our brains want to go, they want to go frantic. That's yeah. a national, that's a natural human reaction. We were, you know, we're more worried about whether there's a tiger than whether the berries on the bush are yummy. But uh, happier parents, one of the things that they typically recognize is that most of the things that threaten our kids right now are not tigers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They're just things. They're just things. And we have the ability and a lot of the things that are threatening them, just take it down a deeper rabbit hole, are things that maybe threatened us in our history that we haven't dealt with or we're challenged by or we're traumatized by. So it feels so intense when it's happening to our kids. Right. So it's just that other stage of, you know, that unwinding the onion. Well, it's like, you know, we talk about carrying your own bags. Like my job is to carry my own bags, own my own stuff, so I don't give it to our kids. Mm -hmm. And it's not easier said than done, believe me, but because the kids are going to grab their own bags without our help. So to 
you know, how do you, how do you do that? And, you know, it's what we've been talking about for almost 500 podcasts is self-awareness, compassion, empathy for others, for yourself and all that. I do want to ask a quick question. Kathy, you just came up with a, didn't come up. You told me about Brene was getting interviewed by Oprah or something like that. No, it was uh, Tara Westover who wrote it. No, no, it wasn't today. It was the sitting in the dark metaphor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. will you tell that to KJ and just see if she has a take on it as far as oh, it was, I, your kids struggling? Yeah, well, it was just, um, and she had kind of said this before in other ways, but I like the the simplicity of it because, you know, I know we can all work on this, is, you know, Oprah was asking Brene Brown about, you know, how she sits with her kids when, she, when they're struggling now. And she said very simply, without a lot of rationalization, I just let them sit in the dark with it and I sit with them rather than like, and as we know from her work, you know, and our, and everything we've read in your book for that matter, you know, you want your kids to struggle. We were just talking about your, your podcast partner, Jessica Leahy and her book about failure. Like these things are good for our kids, but sometimes when they are in the dark, we just want to pull them out so fast, don't we? It's so hard. And this is so funny because if, if this is exactly where I was about to go, one of my sayings is you can be happy when your children aren't. Mm. I have it here. It's one of my favorites. That does not mean, you know, please be waving a (laughs) rainbow flag and dancing around and Possibly, you know, using pom poms when your kids are on the ground crushed because of a, yeah. of a real or small disappointment. What it means is your children should not be responsible for your happiness. Yes. And you know, when she says, "I just let them sit in the dark and I sit with them," that's I mean, that's that's a beautiful way to put it. Because I I always ask people to imagine themselves as as adults with our adults with our older parents. If um, I go to my mother and say. Uh, you know, I'm, this is, it's bad. I'm, I'm, you know, my marriage is failing. I'm getting, mm-hmm. and, and my marriage is fine, but right. I, I'm getting a divorce. The last thing I need at that moment is for my mother to fall apart mm-hmm. because things are hard enough, right? I need her to go, that's terrible. I'm here to hear you. You know, I've got tennis in an hour, but let's, let's mm-hmm. talk this through because I need to, I need to know she's okay. Mm-hmm. And as teenagers and as even younger children, when our kids go, or I'm sorry, when our parents go all in, with our emotions, that is downright scary yeah. because, you know, you get a couple of reactions and one of them is, whoa, I thought getting, not getting invited to the birthday party was bad, but maybe it's really mm-hmm. bad. And another is, you know, when I told dad I didn't make the team, he got really upset. Maybe next time I won't try out mm-hmm. or maybe next time I just won't tell him. That's what I hear most from parents is their shock at... I can't believe they didn't tell me or that they hid their test or that they wouldn't, all these things that you mentioned. And then when I really talk with them about their history, they have freaked out Mm -hmm. on their children and their children have learned that this is not an option for me. Our children do not want to make us unhappy. Mm -hmm. I know that sometimes when their socks are in the middle of the kitchen, it doesn't feel that way, but that's, that's not their goal. They want us to be happy. And if they're feeling responsible for our emotions, that is a huge burden, Mm -hmm. whether you are six or 17 or 38. Mm. Um, Is your mom still around? Yeah. And how did she do as far as sitting in the dark? I think generation ago, I grew up in the seventies. You probably grew up Mm -hmm. in the seventies. I think our parents were better at not going into that dark place when we were in that dark place. I feel like I remember being like struggling so much with something and my parents were like, we're going to a Cubs game. Yeah. You know, I, when you get home, we'll see ya. Like there wasn't a lot of stopping for our lives. So how did your mom do and how do you do as a mom (laughs) or how have you done as a mom on those same things? My parents, you know, they had their own stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I, you know, laid around a lot bored at a lot of indoor tennis courts because that was their, their hobby of choice. And, and they just hauled me along. And I think our parents were much better at that our, as a generation yeah. for a lot of reasons, some of which are societal and some of which are, are cultural and, and some of which are just sort of have escalated mm. in weird ways. So that's one direction we can go. And how do I do with it? Um, sometimes maybe too well. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, it's hard. And I don't want to pretend that it's not hard, especially when the disappointment for your child is big and and real. If you have a child who's, you know, not getting into not just the college of their choice, but any of the mm-hmm. colleges of their choice, you are going to hurt yeah. with them. Mm-hmm. If you have a child whose best friend has just, you know, decided that somebody else is her best friend, and in fact, they're going to, you know, write me notes about your child, mm-hmm. you are going to hurt with mm-hmm. them. I mean, I get a chill at that one because that's a terrible, you know... And, and I had that experience as a child. And you want to go in and fix it so much. Um, 
And I think we all make the mistake at least once. Of course. We have. Absolutely. I've done a couple of stupid things along those lines. And then, you know, hopefully you learn, well, that didn't help anyone and, and didn't help my kid. And then you just, you know, have to, you, it's, it's actually a strength for yourself to mm. just sit in the dark and not say, you sit here in the dark. I'm going to go, I'm going to go fix it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get some light. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I found. I was noticing that I was doing okay sitting in the dark for a little bit. And then Todd and I, what we tend to use a lot is humor in every aspect of our lives. And then there was this point when I was uncomfortable enough where I just wanted to use humor. And I realized that I was kind of cutting it off too, too like I need it. Too there quick. Need, yeah, too quick. That humor can come later, but I don't need to pull them out of it. Um, one thing I heard, I heard Esther Perel in an interview the other day, and she was saying that parenthood has always been a word, but parenting is a new word. I'm sure you've heard that too. The Times too. didn't even want to use it for many years. They objected to it as a verb, but it was very difficult to have an entire regular daily column without using it a verb. So we, we got over that. Um, but I, oh, there was, there was a thought. I wanted to come back to it. Sitting in the dark, it's really hard. Oh, you really, the other piece of that not having all, you know, not taking your child's emotions on or, or getting uncomfortable or, or laughing is that really you need to let them go ahead and feel their misery. Mm-hmm. Um, my child, my oldest son, um, broke his leg playing hockey twice, two years in a row. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the urge to just get him to feel better, to be like, well, you know, but it's only, you know, and at least it's just your leg and, you know, you're gonna, and he needed time and space to be unhappy about the loss of his season and the loss of his, you know, mobile and the fact that it hurt mm-hmm. and all of that. He didn't need to have to be okay for me so that I could feel better. And that was really, it was a hard realization mm-hmm. um, and well, it was hard to do. And I wonder if it's like that because when our kids are, you know, when they're infants, you know, they cry and you feed them or you change their diaper and they're fine or they're three years old, they skin their knee, you give it a kiss, you give them a hug and it's all better. So I feel like as parents, when our kids get older, we don't have the capacity capacity, the authority, the the ability to make their pain go away. Whereas early on we do. And then over time we're like, wow, I'm I've been parenting this kid for X amount of years. Now all of a sudden I can't make this pain go away. Uh, so it's kind of weird. Like the way that the system is set up is we can kind of take their pain away early on. And then when they don't have the maturity and the emotional ability to maybe recognize that there is a next place that they can actually get through it. We help them get through it. We teach them some tools, even kissing a, a cut or putting a Band-Aid. But then to your point, we have to then slowly let go so they know they can do it themselves, that they can put on their own Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. It's okay if they come and ask for a kiss, right. but that's they know that it's within because anything else is a disservice to them. It's hard to sit with anybody else's pain. You right. own your kid yes. or your parent. I mean, this is one of the reasons we all say such stupid things when you know someone dies or is diagnosed with a bad illness, and we say, you know, oh, it was meant to be. I mean, we 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 do with a list of terrible, dumb. Or God reactions. doesn't give you more than you can handle. Yes, Some the of list those awful of really things. really not helpful reactions is long, and the list of list of really really helpful reactions is almost non-existent. And we hate that. Yeah. We would really like to be able to fix everything. It is a it is a national trait of ours, and it is also, I think, an, a natural human trait. Mm. It's a little bit of a trickle down situation. That's kind of, yeah. Well, and I'll just say on that same note, you, one thing that my older daughter told me when she was like in her, you know, adolescent years was that she really didn't like telling me things because she would see disappointment on my face, even if I wasn't (laughs) thinking I would look disappointed. So we had to figure out a way where she ended up started writing me things instead of telling me. So I would read it then we would talk about it. So I wouldn't have You would read dis- it. You'd be able to freak out in your brain for two seconds. Even though I didn't even know I looked disappointed. And she could have been projecting too, but yeah. it doesn't matter. Right. I'm just so glad she told me, I struggle telling you things because you look disappointed. Yeah. Well, and yet there's this balance, right? Um, you don't want your... Sometimes your children need to know you're disappointed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes exactly. your children need to know that you're angry. Sometimes they need to know that this is a big deal. So it's really hard to strike that like... I'm not disappointed in you, but I am disappointed that you didn't try your hardest. You know, I don't care about the actual number grade, but I watched you study for that test and most of it was done with headphones, you know, and, and that, that is not the best. It's hard. I, this, you know, 
it's it's not a it's not an easy well balance. And like you said you right when you said that you're completely right like there is a muscle to be strengthened in witnessing disappointment too so it's like there's there is a beauty in being able to say to me i would like to tell you things without experiencing that disappointment but then there's also a muscle that we must develop where someone looks disappointed in us cuz we're going to have bosses and we're going to have coworkers and we're going to have possibly partners who we have to be able to handle that mm-hmm. so there you're you're well, you live in the gray with us they're actually disappointing. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, and, and that's just true. I mean, I, I think that that sounds wrong. Like it sounds, sometimes I am disappointed in my children. Now I feel like a terrible parent for saying that, mm-hmm. but really I, that, you know, you, you watch them and sometimes they screw up on things that they could have done better at that, you know, they have learned and mm-hmm. they know it too. And pretend, you know, having them not think that you're disappointed isn't helpful either. So first of all, I think that's a very truthful statement. Our kids do disappoint us. And and the thing is, and, you know, sometimes I struggle with that. It's like, you know, uh, is there just a projection of me and the, and the inadequacy that I see in this kid? Like, I don't do as good of a job at work as I could do, but instead of me beating myself up, I'm going to go ahead and beat my kid up. So I do... I thank you for being truthful. Like sometimes, sometimes our kids are disappointing, but it's not the what you're saying to your kids once you realize that they're disappointed is how are you communicating that information? Right. From what energy? And I just wonder if you, I, I to be honest, I didn't read your book, but do you talk about that? Like how are you doing this versus what you're doing? Yeah. I, it's, I mean, I, I don't know that I talk about that in so many words, but to stick with the disappointment question, there's, you know, there's the sort of, it's right to express to your child that you think that they could have done better. It's right to try to help them find a way to feel to do better, especially when they're disappointed in themselves. But mm-hmm. if you're disappointed in your child because they want to quit hockey, because you always wanted, wished you'd kept playing mm-hmm. hockey for mm-hmm. your whole life or, or whatever, that's different. And finding, you know, finding that line for yourself and recognizing, you know, the things that I, and I think we can really fool ourselves into, no, I want you to keep playing piano for you because mm-hmm. it's better for you. And really, it's it's about us. So I think, you know, having your daughter write it down or when you're having that sort of wave of disappointment or anger or what, you know, when when things are going wrong, sometimes we need to walk away and figure out mm-hmm. where we're coming from mm-hmm. before we come back and try to... Well, plus it requires some intuition. Like sometimes it might not be a good time to even in a loving way, communicate your disappointment with your kid. If they're just got their ass handed to them at school (laughs) that day and they just need to be showered with love. And then there's other days when you're like, you know, this kid needs to be communicated with in a firm but loving way. So you know what I mean? Uh, well, absolutely. And this is, you know, goes back to, rec- you know, the very first question we were talking about recognizing in yourself how you want to perceive this. I think the more self-aware you are, the more conscious you are of, you know, like you said, why you're doing something, you're going to have that innate instead, you know, so many people come to Todd and I, and I know you've probably gotten the same thing and say, what do I say? What do I do? And they think there's like a one size fits all for every situation and the right thing to say when really sometimes it's feeling it out. Just like you said, right now, They came home and they're so low that it's not, I can still sit in the dark with them, but this is not the right time to say, you really disappointed me. Mm -hmm. But that conversation may need to be had when the, you know, when they're moving on to the next thing. And, you know, just so I don't forget this, Todd, I knew you would love this one. A line in uh, KJ's book is like, she was talking about the hockey team or piano that evolving isn't necessarily quitting. Mm. Isn't that a great quote? Mm -hmm. Like a child evolving and saying, I'm done with hockey. I got what I needed out of hockey. I feel like I've moved to a new place if it's that I need a break or that I want this new sport. And that I just feel like that line could save so many parents. Mm-hmm. Evolving isn't necessarily quitting. I, yeah, and, and evolving is is a process. It's not necessarily permanent either. True. Um, you know, you can go back to hockey or piano, or you cannot go back to hockey or piano. We really, this is... Um, one of the things that I have noticed in talking to parents and in, and in my own experience is that we really sort of see our kids one way and then it becomes hard to change. But but children change. 
especially if mm-hmm. we let them change and evolve. So, I mean, this goes, this ranges from, you know, oh my gosh, he's not napping today. He's never going to nap again. My life is over. We're never going to sleep. You know, it's sort of that, that just catastrophic to, um, my child doesn't like mushrooms. They'll never like mushrooms for the rest of their life. We're going to like mock them for not mes- liking mushrooms. I think as adults, we all have that experience of like your, your own parents mm-hmm. seeing you in some certain way. And you're like, no, really? Mushrooms are fine now. Put yeah. them on the pizza. Can we maybe just not? You know what would be great? We've been joking about the mushrooms for 15 years. You know what would be cool? Let's find something else. You know what? I don't like broccoli. I mean, totally. It just gets it gets really hard. So letting them change and not being like constantly sort of, well, you, gosh, you, you never wanted to play the ukulele before. What's making you do it before? And then they're just like, you know, I don't even want to play the ukulele now. Can right. we just, I'm just going to go over here. I just love make that a big point. Deal. It's so true because it's, I envision when you say that, it's like, give them some space. And I, I'm laughing. I'm looking at Todd because there's a lot of stories like that in your oh, family. Yeah. <laughs> like his family tells the same stories. Oh, this person didn't like bread. This person like this, this person. And it's like from, you know, like your mom used to say, Todd always sleeps this way. Yeah. And it was like a story that she would tell me, even though I was sleeping next to him. <laughs> yeah. And it's harmless at this point, but you can see how for kids when it's like, oh, but you never like sports and now you want to play a sport or you always thought you weren't musical and now you, you just, you constrict their ability well, and to I, expand. My, the, and I thought of a difference. Or to tell you about it. Yeah. Right. Well, the story I thought about was, um, I, I haven't eaten meat in a few years. I'm a pescatarian, but I used to be a carnivore just like, you know, most people, people I know. And I remember like my kid was like four. I'm like, well, you got to eat your turkey because, and then she's like, well, I don't like turkey. I'm like, well, you got to eat, you got to eat your meat. And we were working with a coach at the time. She's like, why does she have to eat turkey? I said, well, because she needs protein. She's like, maybe she's not supposed to eat meat. And I'm like, yeah, wait a second. Like I'm, I'm imposing my value system that you need to that this is the way. This is the Protein only way. Protein is, is a good yeah, thing. Yeah, right. But that this is the only way. And it's and and then that's a tough thing. I'm sure we could go down a rabbit hole if they're really young. Mm-hmm. So maybe you do need to say, mm-hmm. you know, if they're like, I'm not going to eat a vegetable. Mm-hmm. It's, it again, this is where you can get like in a spin well, cycle. Well, there's an intuition and you're going to screw up. I know I screw up at over half the time. The thing is, are you learning from your screw ups or are you digging your heels in thinking you were right? Yeah, because we're not, that's that's another thing that just to keep in mind is we're not supposed to get this right every time. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, I was just looking at something I was going to talk about um, in a speaking engagement I have later, which is just, can, can you imagine if I was like, you know what, Kathy, your parents were perfect, actually. Everything <laughs> they did was right. Mm-hmm. You have nothing to complain about. I mean, when you just want to go crawl under a rock and mm-hmm. hide, you're, you're not even supposed to be perfect. No. You're going to have mm-hmm. a total another chance to get this wrong or right tomorrow. Yeah. So, and you can apologize if you need to. You can go back. You get a do-over. We've got, I got a, a nice lifetime with, yeah. with our kids to, to sort of learn and and grow i mean we're evolving too right it's all we are we're just grown-up kids like people i I think our kids think that we're like different than them yeah we have a fully developed prefrontal cortex and we have a lifetime of experiences yet at the same time we're just as full of crap as they are as far as i'm concerned well we're doing what we same kind of experiences we're having the same kind of experiences they have even if it looks different theirs is in a school but we're having similar um and so a question, part of your book that I love is you do a re- really, you know, big section about siblings, <laughs> and yeah. which I think is so helpful and profound because don't you feel like that's one of the biggest questions we get? Always. The first question we always get is how do I get my partner, usually my husband, to be more conscious? That's usually the first question we get. And then the second, most of our audience are moms. Yeah, most. And then the second question we get is, yeah, this is great, but how do I deal with the sibling issues? And you go, you went a lot of different great places. Like that's why it was really so. I just I made a list of the things were really hard for me. Yeah. And then I asked my friends on Facebook, and then I picked the ones that seemed and then I went out and found people this is not a memoir of my happy parenting journey yes <laughs> you know this is me and especially in the sibling area the sibling area for me while writing this book that those would be the moments when I would just lay down and be like I can't write this book I am not happy about this yeah. I am never gonna be happy about this these girls are never gonna get along mm-hmm. and and you know they would literally I, I just I'm reading a novel right now it's really good it's called um 
There's a word for that, and I think the author is Sloane Tannen. And but a plot turning plot point involves one twin sister smashing the other twin sister's face with a lacrosse stick. Oh wow. I felt so much better when I read that. Mm-hmm. Just because my kids have had some really huge, enormous um conflicts and that makes you feel really terrible Mm -hmm. as a parent Mm -hmm. and we the thing i do because i we're having uh you know as all parents do the experience where sometimes when you see like we have three daughters one daughter saying such horrible words Mm -hmm. to the somebody who's first of all younger than them and second of all just it's so hurtful exactly exactly and it, it seems so like they're projecting like it's not even their sister's fault But then what I have to do, and in that moment, I don't always respond great. I get super frustrated. But I have to remember that with my own sister, we used to pull each other's hair. Right. Think about the evolution. Well, and that's the thing is, I I know that sounds really stereotypical. Like, we pulled each other's hair, but we tried to hurt each other. Yeah. Harm each other. So did I. I used to try to hurt my brother and my sister and all that, like, physically. And I'm sure there's people listening that 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 happens still too. But if the worst thing that you and I, Kathy, are worried about is them saying something unkind to their sibling, like... Really? Well, and is this that what you're getting worked up about? This is what you investigate, KJ, is how much do we intervene? Right. And that is really hard. And to the extent that there is an answer, answer, it's more when they're littler and less after you've taught them how to maybe deal with some conflicts themselves, which usually is when they're older. But if you need to take some teaching time when they're older, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the answer tends to be, well, the answer that I came to and what has worked better for me and improved things for us, and this is was from talking with parents, talking with experts, putting a lot of different stuff together, was you intervene when it's a problem for you mm-hmm. and you intervene neutrally. This is really hard because I, I know that for me, most of the time with my, particularly it's my two daughters in my family, usually one's right and one's wrong. Not the same one yeah. all the time, right. mindly. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, if you're the one who has the charging cord in the car and your phone is at 93% and your sister's phone is at 1% and you won't hand over the charging cord, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what happened yesterday in the mm-hmm. car. I don't know what happened earlier. I don't know whose charging cord that really is, even mm-hmm. though I might think that I do. Like, So to intervene with... That's it. Nobody gets the charging cord or that's it. Everybody's phone's off and in the bag or, you know, that's it. I'm pulling over and going into the McDonald's and getting myself a soda because I can't take it from you people anymore. That's neutral. Mm. Give your sister the charging cord. That's not neutral. Somebody just won. Mm -hmm. Somebody just lost. Now they're going to, this is going to get worse. You know, when I get back in the car, something else is going to happen because I've just messed with retribution. um, Yeah. I've just messed with what is a, bizarrely balanced dynamic between these two individuals that I will probably not know the truth of until, you know, 20, 30 years from now. So the two things you said was, one, it's a problem for you as the parent, correct? When when they're making you crazy, when you can't take it anymore, um, when you're about to blow up and do something you'll regret. Got it. Or ideally long before that point. Because what I was going to say is like whenever my kids are fighting, it's a problem for me because I don't want to deal with this. So that's probably not what you're talking about. You're talking about... It depends on your mood, right? Maybe you can go in the other room. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's another good solution. I love leaving. I don't (laughs) think it's... I'm all about leaving. Please send me to my room. (laughs) I I don't think that there's... I think there's moments when that's actually the best thing you can do. And there's moments where I'm just trying to escape and not dealing with the conflict that's in front of me. And then you said neutral... So help me understand what the example, because I like that example, because it's obvious. 93%, 1%. You're saying come at this situation from a position of neutrality, even though you know that the kid that has a 93% charge, but you're like, well, there's factors that I may not know. Correct. Is that what you're saying? Seems really obvious to you. And you know, when when there's bite marks on the three-year-old's arm and the five-year-old is denying it and <laughs> like there's a missing tooth in the middle of the bite mark, okay, this is a, you know, and they're that age and you have to, I know you've been, you know, we had to sit down and what was they, what were they doing and what could you have done differently? That's when you, that's when you do that, the teaching stuff. And sometimes with teenagers, you know, it might be the same thing. I, you know, I can see 
And, and, you know, do you want to tell me why you don't want to turn it over? Do you want to like, sometimes you do need to sit down and talk it out. But most of the time, the best thing to do is to stay as neutral as possible, no matter how obvious it looks, because a lot I mean, what, I, what I've found in my experience and, and what I've t- found in talking to other parents is that frequently you'll find out afterwards that there was something you would have entered, you know, if you'd been in the car 10 minutes before, you'd have, you know, you'd have made 1% child mm-hmm. do what, who knows what, sit yeah. in the back and not the front because that was hey, just the things they can fight over. It's insane. But then, you know, there's that question of the unspeakable the things mm-hmm. that they say to each other that are so horrible. And I do think there are there there might be lines that are different for every family. Mm-hmm. For example, a frequent line among parents is um uh you you know, is weight. Mm-hmm. If you have a child who has concerns about it or I mean even, you know, real issues, Issue. you don't you you may remove one child who's saying you're fat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that's going to skewer, you know, cue an oblimic episode mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, psychological like that. harm, yeah. right? And that's out there. Only you know what that is in your family. Yeah. In our family, actually, my husband came running into me one day. He's like, you know, one of them's calling the other one fat. Isn't that that's one of the lines, right? I was like, no. In our family, that's not a line. Yeah. They know they're not fat. They yeah. have no. They don't. This is not. They don't care. Mm. They're trying it to is use just it as a, a generic. Yeah. Uh, mm. insult. It is no worse than calling each other ugly. I mean, mm. it's not, <laughs> these are not great, but uh, you know, if you're going to intervene, you, you, it's the same as always make them just stop talking to each other and go away or just let it work out. And I'll bet you that 10 minutes from now they're fine. But we do have thing. I'm one of my child is children is adoptive. And if, if one of the siblings says, you know, I wish you'd never, I've somehow, I wish you'd never been born is Has okay. Has it showed up yet? Whereas, oh, oh yeah. Oh. Whereas I wish you, we'd never adopted you. They feel That's totally not different. okay. I can't mm-hmm. accept that. And, yeah. and everybody knows that that is, that is the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and but we it's ta- been crossed. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and sometimes we talk about just in a relationship between, you know, two partners, like fighting fair. I think you're just talking about ground rules for fighting fair. You don't hit the Achilles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm thinking, Todd, like, you know, two things about the neutrality. One one thing I try occasionally, and I can't say it's always successful, is the, okay, so they're having an argument. So we'll use yours, you know, the thing in the car with the the plug, one's at 93, one's at one. And then it's to say, okay, so there's two sides here. One of you's at 93, one of you's at one. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. And I kind of stopped talking because the same thing, I'm not, I, I'm hearing both of you and and all I kind of visualize in my mind is I'm trying to get them on the next plane of discussion. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, okay, let's get, it's like trying to lift it up just a little bit. So I'm hearing this, you're hearing this, and then I'm kind of like nodding. And then they kind of start talking to me and then they start talking to each other again. And your point about you don't know what happened beforehand is huge mm-hmm. because in our best moments, and I can, they're, they're ingrained in my head when the girls have actually been willing, and this isn't always going to work, but to talk about where this came from. Like, do you remember JC wanted to, uh, didn't want Cameron to borrow something. Mm -hmm. And when we actually sat down and talked, she said, you don't understand. She says no to me all the time. So you're saying to me, I have to do this, but she says no to me all the time. Did you know that? I didn't. Right. Yeah. I didn't. And, and it just, it makes a big difference. And it's why it's, that's the value of coming at it neutrally, no matter how obvious it seems. And I have to say, I, st- I mean, I struggle with this constantly, uh, constantly. It is, it is still incredibly hard. I think it will probably always be incredibly hard it's yeah. because it feels like one of, or the other is obviously right often by the time I get there or by the time, you know, they've come to me, but I, I don't, I don't know everything. Mm. No. And you know what it sometimes feels like to me? This is where I go. And I realize that this is a little bit guilt inducing. So I try not to be so blatant with the way I say it. But like, I feel like my team is breaking down. Like my family's my team. And when people are being mean to each other, do you hear even my language, my team, Mm -hmm. like the way I want to perceive you. You know, you're not doing the things I want yeah, us to want, do as a we team. Want we want kumbaya. We want cohesiveness. They're supposed to have each other's backs. Right. They're supposed to protect right. each other. They're supposed, you know, that that's what I want from them. And you know, at other moments, I try to put it in my pocket when it's happening and it's going badly. And often there's a couple things that need to be said when we're not in the middle of the argument. And sometimes it's, you know, 
that when your sister called you fat or whatever, what was really happening is she just found out she didn't make the mm. top hockey team. Mm-hmm. Um, don't you know? You you get that that was not about you, right? That was about her. Or to the other sister, you know that that was a, you were having a really bad moment, and your sister, I'm, I'm gonna give it to you. She came in and poked your butt because I'll take a you know I'll, absolutely. I'll my, when I, she came right in and she went, you know who made the hockey team, Hannah, mm-hmm. and you know I get. I get where you, but you know that was not about your sister and that she poked your button and you let her mm-hmm. and you had control, you know. So we have those conversations. We have those conversations a lot, but you can't have them while they're poking yeah. the buttons. They aren't hearing you and you don't know what's going on. And then, you know, maybe they say, well, yeah, you're right. It was about that. Or maybe they say, yeah, it was about that. And, you know, do you know that she told Hannah that I felt like, you know, I mean, boy, you get some story. stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, this is good hands-on stuff. Um, do you talk about homework in your book? And if so, oh, yes. what's the deal there? Yes, I have a few things about that. So, <laughs> do, like, I will structure this since I since I read your book thoroughly, is that, like, the the how like you talk a lot about how parents want their kids to do homework a certain way mm-hmm. and that our children and you know this is kind of the theme our children have their so let me just let you go on that like well, what is it about most homework? of us get the goal wrong yes most of us think that the goal of homework is for your child to get it done correctly and back to school on time that's not that's not the goal of the homework probably it's not the goal from your perspective in particular and and it's probably not the goal from the teacher's perspective. So let me give the parent goal. The parent goal is that your child learn to get the homework done to the best of their ability and back on time. That's totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, can actually, I can control whether you get your homework done right and back on time when you're young. If it's physics homework, that might be a problem. <laughs> but, you know, especially when you're small, I can check over all your answers. Mm-hmm. I can make sure they're right. And I can either put it in your backpack myself or I can walk you over there and I can make 100% sure that that happens. And you have learned nothing. And your teacher knows absolutely nothing about whether you are learning your addition at school because, and actually most teachers at this point that I've talked to are assuming that that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like the homework is in this and, you know, whether homework is good and bad and all, that's a whole nother discussion, but it's in this really odd spot, spot where teachers are assigning it for one reason, but they also know that's not necessarily what's happening. And, and I think people are trying to figure out how to how to work that out. But to understand that the goal of the homework for you as a parent has very little to do with how well it is done or whether it is returned in a timely fashion mm-hmm. is huge. Once you get that, you don't that then you you do every, you know, the goal is that they learn to do it. That's it. That's that's your goal. And maybe that means, especially when they're younger, that you say things like, you know, you've got baseball practice tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. And after, and grandma's coming over for dinner. Mm. So you're really not going to have very much time. So if you've got work you know is due, you might need to do it tonight. And then, you know, when they're 17, you don't have that conversation, but you might have it at 16 Mm. or at 12. Just, it depends on the kid, right? Um, But sometimes it just means, most of the time, it just means that's your homework. Let them own it. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You and know. figure out what works for them. Like I remember <clears throat> we were doing a presentation once and a, a woman uh, raised her hand and said, well, my child gets her homework done and she does it right after school, but she's listening to the wrong music. She should be listening to classical music. <laughs> and those are okay. the micromanagements that well, we and- think are vital. And, and I thought, and I said, I said, back up in your question, she's getting it done. She's doing well. So and then this is the imposing that we do. We read an article about classical music and we think, now I have to give you this too. We're, you know. Or my two cents is whenever I did my homework growing up, I needed seclusion, quiet, mm-hmm. good lighting. My kid does... My old, our oldest, yeah. She does all her homework in the kitchen under sometimes not great lighting. With everybody around. Everybody's walking around with her headphones on. And... She loves it. Early on, I'm like, what are you doing? Like... <laughs> You could be, you could do this in a half hour instead of an hour and a half. That's such a prejudgment. How do I know? It could take her twice as long for all I know if she was sitting in her bedroom with good lighting and no distractions. Like she may work better with distractions, which I don't understand, but it's the truth, right? Yeah. 
or and you know it's okay when they're not in the middle of their homework and you're not upset about it to suggest hey you know i used to like having my own desk do you do you want your own desk or you know uh your teacher says this should have take a half an hour. It's taking you an hour. Mm. Why is there something you're not understanding? Mm-hmm. Is you know or uh, you know, and and you you can even say, could it be that you know you're you're listening to YouTube while you're doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're little, I think you can say, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's sort of. You can do it in the middle of the kitchen in the bad lighting, but you can't listen to YouTube while you're doing it because... There's a structure, somewhat of a structure. Um, And, you know, you can do that when you're a little bit older. So you can can contribute, but you really can't control. Right. And also, you can't do. Mm. Right. Like, especially, you know, and you... This kind of goes back to the siblings again, but you don't necessarily know what they're capable of until they do it. Excuse me. I tell a story in the book about my kids getting this assignment, which was to read a biography of a famous person and then do a presentation about it to the class. And it was, especially for one of my kids, that's huge, like to understand the book and distill some mm-hmm. facts and put them on the, and then have a costume. They had to have a prop. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, she's never going to like, she, and to do it. And you know, you had to do it over a week. You, you had to, and I was just like, that's too many. I can't, she's never going to be able to do that. It's way too hard. But unfortunately I was going into town. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a whole lot that I could do. And I came back home and I, I think I expressed this on, on Facebook and the teacher got upset with me, but that's a different story. <laughs> and I came home and she had done this. And now it is 100% true that if I had helped her, the story of the the biography would have had more facts about the, you know, America's first female doctor and less facts about her pony. <laughs> and maybe the prop wouldn't have been a pony. But the teacher didn't care. No. Like the goal was not what I would think that you should learn about him. The goal had nothing to do with America's first doctor at all. Mm-hmm. The goal was to take some facts put them on some cards, stand up in front of your classmates and convey them. That's all the goal was. And, you know, I I, love that. I didn't get that. You know, it's funny. I'm just thinking when in fifth grade, there's this thing that in, in our town that everybody has to do a science project. And that may be, you know, typical nationwide. But I remember when my first daughter did it and it was such an intricate project. It was such a, there was so much to it. And I helped her. And even when she put stuff on the board, we laminated stuff and put it on the board. And then, you know, trickle put down. a little card behind it so it would pop. It was yeah. perfect, KJ. It was so beautiful. I was yeah. like, look at my beautiful beautiful board. Mm-hmm. So my youngest daughter just finished hers. I didn't play. And again, this is, we could say this is a yeah, third you, child you thing or learning or evolving. You're evolving. Yes, I'm evolving. I'll just take it. And she did it all by herself, even like just writing on the board, no like pick. And it was, there was some, when we went to, what do they call it? That, that night where we went to go look at yeah. them. I walked in and I looked around you the room. Tell. I could tell. And I just was so, she, it was all about jello and she did it herself and she wrote it herself and she came up with the results. And yes, my daughter's, my oldest daughter's was beautiful. This was as it should be. Real. This was a fifth grade hers. girl's work and not a, a mom trying to intervene. So I just feel that so strongly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's huge. Some of it is, you know, it's hard to see all the other kids' posters are all even and laid out and, you know, their projects were real and they're going to help them get into college. <laughs> and your kid's project was, you know, about whether red jello tastes better than grape jello right. or whatever. Uh, but teachers and library, I, I don't know. think this is in the book, but I, I had, I talked to someone whose kids, the library was having like a I think you were supposed to make a diorama out of marshmallows and sticks or something. Mm-hmm. And she gave her kids marshmallow sticks and a, and a, and a shoebox. And they went to town and they brought in this lopsided, you know, dirty, <laughs> the marshmallows. Are, and the teacher, the librarian was like, it's so nice to see one that was actually made yes. by, kids. by kids. And she, the, the parent who I think was European mm. was like, what? And Yo. then she looked at all the rest of them and was like, oh. Oh, that's what, it, mm-hmm. that's what you Americans do. And pretty much. And then she was kind of like, was I supposed to, and, you know, and. Yeah. Well, this is the essence of the admission scandal that we just went through, are going through, is this doing for, and, it, you know, and if what I'm reading is correct, doing for without your child even knowing you're doing for. Yeah, that's, that's you know, the worst part That's that. the worst part is just like you said in, you know, the belief that, 
they're not going to be able to do this. They don't have that ability to do this. And it sounds like a lot of those parents, there was the belief, that's the thing. my kid can't then do that's it. That's what you're saying. I don't think you can make a good science project. So let me help you. Yes. I don't think you can get into college. So let me help you. And let me just say that there are, I mean, again, there are lines. This is also a story in the book. I, I had this friend and she was raising her nephew for a lot of reasons. And I went, I went to her house one night and I've known this woman for Ever. She doesn't like art projects. She's not going to put stuff behind she's a board. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. And she's she's doing this mosaic thing. She's putting these card and she's like slamming them in a, into the, with her fist. And she looks over and she's like, this is the stupidest thing. <laughs> they have to make a mosaic. And you know, her, her nephew is sitting there and he's got this huge stack of books. He's, you know, and she's like, he, they don't get any credit for the mosaic. And so I'm just, you know, he designed it and I'm just, because you had to stick all these teeny little Sometimes teachers don't think the project through, and when that's the case, maybe you're going to help. Or maybe your kid comes and says, you know, I know what I want this to say, but I can't letter it evenly. Mm-hmm. And made, so you go get them a yardstick, and you show them, mm-hmm. well, you put the middle one here, and then you go out from there. Or maybe, you know, you come and you find them, and they had brilliantly decided that what they would do is leave the letters white, but color the entire rest of the poster <laughs> board black, and it's too late. Right. And you're like... Do you have another marker? Because yeah. I'm all. <laughs> but there's that line between helping and doing, and boy, err on the side of not helping. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, I feel if like you've it's... got that because most of us, we're really we, we, we can really make awesome science projects. Yeah. And the sure thing is, can. nobody ever asks us to do that now. Uh-uh. And I just feel I could rock it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I feel like. There's the hands-off approach where you don't even engage whatsoever, and then there's your, the doing that you're talking about, and, the, and maybe the middle one would be guiding. To evaluate me as a dad, I'm more on the like completely hands-off, maybe to a fault. I think me too. Um, and maybe I should you know, incorporate or just offer a support and all that, but I, to your point, I think... You know, it's finding that balance. Well, uh, sometimes you find that. I mean, we actually are high school. He's now a senior. Um and he came to us at the beginning of the college process, and he said, I don't want to be your experiment child. Mm. I don't think you guys know anything about applying to colleges right now. Will you please help? Can I have mm. a, a counselor? Mm-hmm. I, you know, my friends are working with people, sure. and I would like to work with someone. And we were able to find someone. It wasn't, it wasn't whoever. <laughs> we, we didn't end up, you know, paying the admission. Pasting. We, we didn't Rick end up Singer or whatever pasting his uh, face on yeah. a water polo play. <laughs> it was just someone who could be like, you know, here are the universities that mm-hmm. you are and, and and their high school didn't does doesn't have the band. It's a small town. They didn't have the bandwidth to to do it for everybody. And you know, it was a minor thing. But I was really proud that he came to us, and he was right. We would have just been like, yep. good luck mm-hmm. and. And I think he's been through that sort of enough times and seen us go, okay, the part where we didn't come in when your science teacher in freshman year was really, and that turned out to be wrong because that science teacher we found out later, uh, you know, sincerely uh, treated boys differently than girls and there were all kinds of problems and we just left you alone and then you got a D and we're sorry. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. You know, you're learning, they're learning and yeah, you can you can do too little and then you can own that and and it's what's It's probably still better. Yeah. Because then they do learn to come to you, even if it takes a few times. Like we did a whole show one time on us being as, you know, hands off. And then similar to your son, my daughter coming to us and saying, I do want to be in this class and I will need your support to get here. And that to me is I'm like all on board then. Like, tell me what that support looks like. How can I show up for this? But I like that she had to get the fire lit under her. That's in itself an experience. I, I regret the freshman year experience less than I would us sailing in. And, you know, if we'd fixed that class, there were others we would have fixed too. And, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't have been great either. And then my second child went off to the same high school with us now understanding that to a certain, to a certain degree, when every other parent is getting in there and trying to help your kid with your, ch- you, you need to, or your kid's going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so going in and doing some, but not all, and then having her end up with the teacher she really didn't want. And then Three weeks later, having that actually, her actually be a, actually, this teacher that everyone else says is no, it's actually good. Like, mm. it totally works for me. Mm. This is fine. So, um, 
Um, you never know. So as we're getting close to the end, because we're almost at about an hour, I do want to ask you about, because Kathy wrote me these notes for uh, after reading your book, Cookies and Cooking and Meals Suck So Bad. I, I kind of <laughs> paraphrased. Uh, yeah, she might have. Because we, yeah. we... She doesn't say that. But why I just am just, the, the, you know, I read the whole thing about meals. She has a whole section about it. And just that whole idea of, I made you dinner last night. Why yeah. do I have to do this again? It's <laughs> That's us. Seriously? And chronic. Like, it's, it's like the thing you can never... And, and I don't cook. You can't get on top of you it. You can't get on top <laughs> no. of it. You can't get ahead of it. You, I mean, yes, you can by going to the grocery store, blah, blah, blah. But I just so related to that part. Yeah, I think that's a struggle for so many people because there's so many pieces to it. You know, you have to get the food into the house. You have to pay for the food. You have to shop for the, someone. Like the, the food has to be acquired and then it has to be prepared. And then it has to meet, you know, certain societal standards of what you're supposed to feed your children. So you take has to with a grain of salt mm-hmm. here. And then it has to be cleaned up after. Yes. And then, yeah, then you do the same thing sometimes two or three times a day, which is really unfair. And when they're tiny, you know, you're cutting up. Fr- I cut up so much fruit for my toddlers. I don't think I ate fruit for. <laughs> I was like, I cut this up for you, and mm-hmm. I just don't even give me the chips. Yeah, you know? I need a break. I, yeah, I'm not cutting up fruit for myself Mm-mm. at this point. I don't care. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really it's hard. And it's a lot. And attitude can kind of only go so far. So most people need to just figure out, you know, put a system on this yes. and accept that. Um, some friends of mine who the, do the Happier in Hollywood podcast call it a season of sacrifice. Okay, so you've got like a childhood of sacrifice. You're going to put, you're going to find a way to get that meal on the table until you get to the point where they can contribute. Manage is, some of their own and, yeah. and make some meals. So I have a lot of different ideas for making it better and easier and probably releasing a lot of the have tos and the, I mean, you do have to acquire the food or there won't be any, right. but you know, you whether gotta it feed has to something. be healthy, yeah, whether it has to be healthy quotes, oh. air quotes or organic or whatever. Uh, one of the greatest things my pediatrician said to me when my children were young was don't look at what they eat at a meal. Look at what they eat over a week. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I was like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> Talk about changing your mindset where you're not so stressed about that one meal. I think that there, even though it's not perfect and again, constantly evolving, at least you and I personally have reached a happy medium about dinners and that kind of thing. Yeah, we like cook. And when I say cook, we like prepare, make pasta and maybe throw some garlic bread in there. And and a box of pasta and a bag of salad. That's you. That's a homemade. You're done. Yeah, that is a homemade. And then we hit Chipotle. Tired of eating it every night. Yeah. And we hit Chipotle or Panera once or twice a week. Like it's certainly not the, the 1950s norm that I grew up as a as a father, I'm like, okay, we all have to prepare this food together. And we all got to eat all the foods and we got to like, and it's just not, it doesn't work for Kathy and I. We have no. a very different version of what meal times are. Yeah. And some people, you know, have, some people do a big breakfast. I could never do that. Some people eat dinners in the car because they're, they're off Travel. to sports. Yep, some yep, people, yep. we put a huge value on family dinner and being together, like yeah. everyone who's in the house gathering together. Although sometimes, you know, my kids will say, is this a family dinner or a reading <laughs> dinner? And I'm like, it's a reading dinner. Mm-hmm. And that means you can read or, or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even look at your phone, although that's like a, right. typically they're reading on their phone and that's, that's acceptable. But you know, so we put a big value on that, but that does not mean it's a roasted chicken right. with vegetable. I mean, yeah. maybe it's a roasted chicken because those come in a plastic container from the <laughs> grocery store sometimes. But well, yeah, and some some moms and dads love all that stuff. I don't do. understand, and it I at do all. to a certain extent. But not necessarily seven nights a week, yeah. 365 right. days a year. That's the thing is, I think that's because I grew up as a latchkey kid. So I came home, made my own dinner. My parents got home later. So I was with them a lot, but family dinner wasn't the time. Right. So Todd, though, grew up with a grandmother making him food. Family dinner was a, a huge time. So we have found, because what you just said, I'm going to say that now, a reading dinner. Because I always like to have a magazine or a book and then eat by myself. That's my preferred habit. Me too. too. And that's a very childhood. And, but I understand and I honor and I actually enjoy the family dinners where we all sit down and everyone helps and everyone helps clean up. You know, you have a whole thing about chores in here too and responsibilities. Yep. And mealtime is a great time to start those responsibilities. You put your own plate away. You know, right. this is your turn. So there's, it's multi-purposeful. Yeah. But it was, it was yeah. a leap for me. 
So KJ, how do how would one find out more about you? What's, uh, what's, what's how to give me the name of the book? <laughs> how to be a happier parent, there raising a family, having a life, and loving almost every minute. Um, some of the quotes that we have discussed during the episode, like "You can be happier when your children aren't," or uh, "Children change if you let them." Um, soak in the good. Those are what I call parenting mantras. Mm-hmm. And if people would like to get all ten, if you go to followkj.com. Uh, and sign up for my email list. I'll send you this. Like a night, it's actually a neat printable. You can put it on the fridge, and they're good life mantras yeah. too. I go back to them a lot. So, so kjdelantonia.com is also where you can find me, and you can you can find me on all the social media just by sort of starting with KJ and then frantically trying to spell my last name, and <laughs> I'll pop up. I know. It's I was nice say about KJ as a name. There's a couple other people out there, but if you just make an effort on the last name, you're going to get me. It shows up, and I've seen you all over the place. You've been in a lot of book. Our friend Debbie Reber was at something you were at, or maybe you were at Julie Lithcott Hames somewhere. There, you guys had some speaking engagements at the same time, yeah. or whatever. I've well, kind of seen you all over the place. You know, it's it's a it's a great community of people, you know, writing and sharing about our own families, yes. like you guys, and our own experiences, and also what we've learned in in being a part of this larger community and sort of all trying to distill it together. I agree. It's such a beautiful cover too. That's one of my favorite parts. I had a little bit to do with it and I love it. it, And again, the inside is the best part, but sometimes when I see a cover of a book, I feel like it reflects your personality. Like (laughs) this must be part of who you are too, you know? I I like that one as a It made me think of, uh, it looks similar to the cover of the uh, Rebel Girls book. I don't know if you've It does, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, I've seen that. The Navy and it's just, and there's a little bird, Todd. I love me too I'm such a bird person so KJ thank you so much thank you I learned so much from your book Uh, we'll catch you guys next time thank you once again to KJ for joining us and go buy our book and get on our website and I gotta get those mantras I know you do it's a good idea for the fridge yes alright guys take care bye thanks for listening everyone remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a review on iTunes it helps people find us Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us questions. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen private podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything we offer. Our tagline is zero pressure, 100% support. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. What about my book, sweetie? Just my books. I want to tell you about an exciting weekend workshop we have coming up on October 25th through the 27th at the Majestic 1440 Multiversity, nestled in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. For more details, send me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but Kathy and I get a small commission from Amazon. And don't forget to put next year's ZPR conference on your calendar. It's February 28th and 29th, 2020. Leap into the new year with us. That's right. Leap, sweetie. Uh, And guys, don't forget, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. Uh, So we talk about work-life balance, deepening relationships with loved ones. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You get to choose. First session's free. For more information, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And don't forget about the Tribe Men's Group. We're finally reaching out beyond Chicago and are going to have some opportunities virtually. So head on over to tribemensgroup.org. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And I'd like to give special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. He's a bald-headed beauty, and he can be found on the internet at avidco.net. And lastly, just thanks to all you listeners for listening and keeping us going after all these years. Cannot say thank you enough and uh, keep trucking. Adios.